If you are a Braveheart, the next hour is just for you. Welcome to Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold. In this program, you'll learn who the Bravehearts are and connect with them to help change the world. By doing so, you'll be changed for the better. Now, here is your host, Brian Reinbold. And welcome, Bravehearts. You're listening to Bravehearts Radio. I'm your host, Brian Reinbold, and I am the mission specialist. You're tuned into VoiceAmerica.com, where we're the leader in live internet talk radio, and I'm grateful to be here with you on our flagship Voice America Variety Channel. Today, we're going to talk about solving the world's water crisis. You can connect with us at Bravehearts for Kids, BraveheartsRadio.org. You can also find the past episodes on, of the show in the show link section, and you can also donate now if you like the work we're doing and would like to help us to continue this. My guest today is George Green IV. He is the uh, CEO of watermission.org. And uh, George, welcome to the show. Brian, thank you for having me. We're uh, excited to get to share a little bit about the things that are going on. The global water crisis is a lot bigger than a lot of people realize. And impacts a lot of people around the world and and um, usually when we get to talk about what's going on people's eyes are open in a pretty significant way so and as uh, as believers uh, it's an opportunity for ministry on a significant level as well and and uh, excited to be here with you thank you so much you know I, 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 when I think of uh, a water mission and and the the work that you do the the first thought that came to mind was uh, a number of years ago I was visiting my sister in San Diego and she was uh, part of organizing a walk for Darfur. Uh, Darfur mm-hmm. was an area that was having some significant problems, and there was a young woman that spoke to the crowd after the walk was completed. And she was, um, I, I believe, if I remember right, she was uh, Miss Ethiopia in the Miss Universe pageant. And uh, she mm-hmm. she was up in a very, very, very beautiful young woman, very colorful uh, dress that she was wearing, and um, she spoke to the group, and she was telling about when she was a little girl, her father and her brothers had been killed, and her mother and her younger brother, and she lived in a refugee camp, and they spent their days looking not for food, but for water, and it just really hit home that, oh my God, we really take water for granted. Well, you've, uh, you've, you've hit on a number of key things that we take for granted. Water, obviously, being one of them. Uh, looking at it from a refugee perspective is a whole other issue altogether. And, uh, and, and we actually work in a number of different settings that range from uh, refugee camps, where we are looking at critical services and keeping access to safe water flowing on a daily basis, um, but also working in a community development context uh, where we're um, looking at long-term needs that are projects that ultimately are handed off to the community uh, residents um, with the idea of the concept of teach a man to fish versus give a man to fish. And then we also do disaster relief work, which to a certain extent, working with refugees can can fall into that category, although you um, uh, do in some cases have a little bit more time and planning and working with refugees as opposed to uh, disaster relief is get water flowing as quickly as you possibly can in the aftermath of some kind of natural disaster or man-made disaster where um, where people are, are moving in large numbers and and uh, disrupted and in, in having access to basic needs like food and water and shelter. So 
Um, there's a, it's a, we're, we live in a hurting world and there's a lot of hurt around us and it's ripe for ministry opportunities. That's for sure. When, when you, you know, you describe, um, uh, natural disasters and then, uh, which are bad enough, but man-made disasters, what a, what a, what a cataclysm for us to throw on top of things, uh, in, in a world where there's enough natural disasters to deal with. What, um, how did water mission, uh, begin? Yeah, so in 1998, Hurricane Mitch hit Honduras, and it was the worst disaster in the recorded history of the country. And when most people think of hurricanes, they think of strong winds, and um, they think of tidal surge and things like that. And with Mitch, it was a little bit different. What happened with Mitch was it basically stalled over the country of Honduras for a period of about two weeks. And during that period, uh, um, it, it rained like 75 inches of rain. It was some just crazy amount of water that came down. And the impact was entire sections of cities were washed away. I mean, literally, it was a thousand-year storm. And the things you don't think about are over that period where you don't have a major storm like that, people build in flood zones of rivers, and especially in developing countries where they don't have codes and restrictions. And and it literally, this this disaster uh, brought this country to its knees. Um, I I think there were 18,000 people that were killed and another 11,000 that were missing. Um, Just uh, crazy, crazy numbers. And at the time, water mission did not exist. Uh, At the time, um, we had connections through my family uh, in Honduras. We had a missionary that we supported. And we had connections that uh, we had all gone and spent time in Honduras. And and when Mitch hit and we just saw this happening, we live in in South Carolina. And so we were in South Carolina watching this happen and, and, and watching the devastation unfold. And my dad, um, uh, who my mother and father are actually the co-founders of Water Missions, uh, Molly and George Green. I'm also George Green. He's George the Third, and I'm George the Fourth. Um, my father uh, felt that God really put a burden on his heart that he needed to do something, um, but he had no idea what. And at the time, my parents had a for-profit environmental laboratory and engineering consulting firm. Um, they knew how to test water, but they didn't actually make any kind of equipment or sell any products. And, uh, and, and so my dad was really struggling with, you know, what, what can I do? And so he actually reached out to our contacts in Honduras at the time, and he sent an email. And, and it's important to kind of think through sending an email in 1998. If you can think that far back, email was still relatively new. And in the travels that we had all gone and spent time in Honduras, you were lucky if you had power uh, when you were there, much less if you had Internet access. And so my dad, um, you know, he, um, he, he, in feeling God put a burden on his heart that he needed to do something about it, he really felt like he was pulling a fast one on God by sending an email to our contact because, one, he didn't expect that they were going to have power in normal times, much less when a Category 4 hurricane was uh, um, pounding the country. And then on top of that, Internet, and then on top of that, are they actually checking their email? And uh, um, it, was, uh, it was funny because within less than 24 hours, he actually had a response back from the contact saying they needed help with drinking water. And they named six communities and population in this community of 1,000 people, this community of 1,500 people. And my, uh, my father's background is in engineering, and it was something tangible that he could get his head around and, uh, and, and not necessarily having something that we could immediately go and send. But, you know, hey, I think I could actually help with this. And so he and my mother actually ended up mobilizing their for-profit company at the time, they went out, tried to find water systems that they could buy and send, 
and they couldn't find anything. What they found was uh, like these backpack-type units that you could get that would serve maybe a couple of people, but not big enough to be able to serve a 1,000 people in a community, and trying to get enough to sit and to serve a 1,000 people just wasn't practical. And then they had these high-end reverse osmosis systems that the military used that were just crazy expensive and overkill. And again, with a background in engineering and, and, and saying, you know, water treatment really isn't that difficult. Let's just build something. And so they actually built six emergency water systems, and they had them in Honduras within less than two weeks of the request. And with that, they took a team of 19 volunteers from their company, and they spent Thanksgiving back in uh, 1998 in Honduras uh, installing these systems in the impacted areas. So that experience was the eye-opener for them, and one, um, first seeing the global water crisis and, and really kind of understanding that, hey, we're going to respond in a disaster and we're going to send systems that are going to last and they sent consumables with the idea of, you know, the disaster is going to end at some point. So they sent enough consumables to run the systems for, I think, a period of six months. And they said, you know, at the end of six months, these people didn't have safe water beforehand. And it's a whole lot worse now with this disaster, but they're going to go back to drinking water out of the river. And what have we accomplished and where they were in their career, um, they'd had a tremendous amount of success with their for-profit company. And as they were looking at where they were and where they felt God was starting to redirect them, um, they stumbled across a book by a fellow named Bob Buford called Halftime. And the premise with Halftime is that there are some people in their lives that as they work, they accumulate enough wealth that they don't need to continue to accumulate it. So you've put enough money aside to pay for kids to go to college, to cover your retirement. And in that case, you have the ability to look at that as a halftime moment and shift into a kingdom-focused second half of your life. And my parents uh, saw that that's where they felt God had called them to, and uh, and they ended up selling their for-profit business and starting Water Mission as a nonprofit to focus on ending the global water crisis. So That's Water Mission officially got started in 2001. You can do the, uh, the, the, the timing there from 1998 to 2001. That was really the, discern- the discernment period that they were stepping through. But it's a neat story. And uh, they both have been um, full-time volunteers um, through, uh, through their entire time uh, with Water Mission as well as continue to be major donors to uh, the ministry today. Um, I do need to um, just point out that, um, unfortunately, we lost my mother in a tragic accident about a year ago and mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and moving on from that. But um, it's a neat story, and it's quite a legacy. I had heard about your mother, so sorry to hear that. Um, you know, the um, I think the, the current term is pivot, and it sounds like your parents uh, found a great pivot point uh, listening to that uh, that voice in their heart that uh, that said, uh, uh, here's what you ought to consider, I suppose, right? Yeah, you know, if you talk to my dad about it, what he would say is that the first half of his career in the building of this for-profit business, that as he looks back on that, that was really God preparing him for what they're doing now and uh, mm-hmm. and for what Water Mission is doing now. And, uh, and, and there is a, um, there, you know, this was not a, um, uh, um, uh, there wasn't any kind of conversion on the spot and then start water mission. There was a, a mm-hmm. long, um, uh, focused, uh, faith journey, um, that, uh, even the for-profit business was run on Christian business principles and, and, uh, and active in their faith and supporting a number of different ministries, uh, through that work as well as, uh, personally. So, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, it certainly is, um, 
there's a, you know, when God calls you and being able to, uh, or being prepared to respond and actually responding, um, those are things that you have to be bold. And, and I'm, uh, I'm fortunate that, uh, my, uh, my decision wasn't necessarily quite as hard, uh, to be able to come alongside and join as well. But, um, it's a great example for us to look to and, and as we look at our personal lives. Yeah, what a blessing to be able to jump into that uh, the way the way you did. And and you mentioned Bob Buford's book, Halftime, one of my favorites. Um, I I remember uh, uh, finding out about it at uh, an organization called Barnabas, and uh, it's um, uh, I was d- describing work that I was doing at the time, and and the, the woman I was talking to said, "Oh, it sounds like Halftime." I said, "What's that?" She says, "Book by Bob. you know." She <laughs> described the book, and I have to take exception with uh, Bob Buford over one thing. He describes Halftime as uh, like about age thirty-five or forty, and uh, I'm I'm in the uh, in the group of men that think uh, fifty-five is the beginning of middle age. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I thought you were going to go on the other side of that because I would say you don't have to wait to to um, to that age either to reach halftime. Some people get there earlier than others as well. So, um, but um, but yeah, I agree. I, I think flexibility is key in all these things. Absolutely, it's uh, it's a it's a tremendous pleasure and a privilege to talk with you, uh, George Green the Fourth from WaterMission.org uh, on Brave Hearts Radio. We're going to go to a quick break. We'll be back on the other side of 60 seconds. Stick with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Brave Hearts Radio is sponsored by Brave Hearts for Kids, a national pediatric cancer charity. Our mission is to provide life-saving hope and inspiration to families facing a pediatric cancer ordeal through outreach, information, and mentoring. Our recently updated Spotlight Hope mobile app puts families in touch with resources to help make their lives better from any location in the USA. For more information or to help, go to BraveHeartsForKids.org. That's BraveHeartsForKids.org. As the mission specialist, Brian Reinbold doesn't fly the rockets, but he does help to make sure each mission gets accomplished. Employee engagement is such an important concern for business people today. Brian helps socially conscious businesses reduce expenses, increase profits, and inspire a sense of dedication in the workforce by training mission-building behavior. It's not what Brian does that's most important. It's what people do after he trains them. For more information, contact Brian Reinbold at Mission Specialist at BraveHeartsRadio.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You're part of Brave Hearts Radio. Call into the program today to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also email Brian. His email is missionspecialist at braveheartsradio.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back, Bravehearts. You're listening to Bravehearts Radio. I'm your host, Brian Reinbold, and I am the Mission Specialist. You're tuned into VoiceAmerica.com, where we're the leader in live internet talk radio, and I'm grateful to be here with you on our flagship Voice America Variety Channel. Today, we're talking about solving the world's water crisis. Uh, you can connect with us at BraveHeartsForKids.org. 
uh, BraveheartsRadio.org. You can connect with uh, Water Mission at WaterMission.org. And my guest today is George Green the Fourth. He's the CEO of Water Mission. Dot org and uh, you know in the during the break we were talking about the uh, idea of uh, people going to the website you know bravehearts for kids or watermission.org and uh, contributing and you mentioned that there are um, a number of ways to contribute uh, to uh, to the to the cause uh, time talent treasure influence um, you know that's what you're currently doing right George yeah, Brian, thank you. Certainly um, welcome people going to the website and find out more about who we are and what we're doing and if they feel God's leading them to engage that, you know, it, um, certainly financial contributions are, are ways that fuel the ministry and, and are uh, welcome. Um, at the same time, I don't know that everyone always realizes other areas that uh, that they can have an impact and whether it's in partnership with us or, or whether it's with other organizations uh, through your church and, and um, ministry opportunities. But when we think about the time that we have, the talent and the influence, um, you know, the, they're four areas, uh, including treasure, and three of them don't have to do with money. So, um, uh, and, and, and we all know people. Um, we all have the ability to um, use our talents uh, to have an, a kingdom impact. And, and there's often uh, um, the ability to use our time for, uh, for things as well as going and volunteering. So um, we have the ability to look into engaging on all those levels if, uh, if folks want to visit our website. Um, but I also encourage them to be thinking about it outside of uh, connecting with us as well. Yeah, one of the things, uh, you know, I, I, I like to think that uh, we have the ability to influence thought through uh, things like the Bravehearts radio program and uh, the people that listen to this and maybe they'll be able to say, you know what, I've got some time for this or I know someone that could help because they're really good at this or perhaps they know someone that uh, could make a contribution. So all of these things work in, in concert with one another. Um, the the uh, the time, talent, treasure, and influence it reminds me a little bit, George, of when I was um, uh, when when I was on the finance committee of my church, and in September each year we would give uh, what we called the stewardship talk, and uh, how we we aren't really the owners of our treasure, we're simply the stewards of those things, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. ownership. At one time, uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, you know, that, that ownership at one time was more of a, rather than a possession, a stewardship concept. And, uh, you know, that might be just a good way to look at it all, all around. So, Yeah, it, you know, it's so hard to keep an eternal perspective. Um, but at the end of the day, um, being, you know, the things that we have, we need to hold on to them loosely because they're not ours. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, good uh, good points. Uh, good to yeah, uh, that uh, good to uh, remember that we're simply the stewards. So what what are uh, what what are, you know you you mentioned uh, Honduras as the beginning uh, in a, looking at the uh, the map of where you're involved now. You're all over the world. Um, what what are some of the areas that um, that you see as being uh, most significant right now for the water mission work that you're doing? Yeah, so we have full-time staff outside of the United States in 10 different countries. And of those, um, one is an active disaster relief effort. We're still responding in the Bahamas to Hurricane Dorian that hit last September. And then outside of uh, those um, in the nine countries where we have program activity, um, there's essentially kind of two major initiatives that are going on. 
Um, there's community development focus, and so that's really that's really looking at long-term impact projects. Essentially, what we do is we partner with a community and we go in and we implement a municipal-style water system. And at the end of the day, we work with them to put in the people, processes, and systems, and maintenance programs, and all the things that are necessary to be able to continue to run it on an ongoing basis. And at the beginning of the call, you also mentioned uh, a refugee con- uh, contact. And we also have a, a, a huge initiative underway or, or two significant initiatives underway where daily we're supporting the drinking water needs of somewhere around 700,000 refugees on a, um, and growing on a daily basis. And that's kind of equally split in two countries, working in western Tanzania where we're uh, um, serving uh, primarily Burundians and Democratic Republic of Congo refugees that have sought asylum in Tanzania, and then also in northern Uganda, which is primarily focused on people from South Sudan who fled uh, that country into Uganda. And when you look at um, at these uh, refugee settings, it's very different from community development because it's basically get in and make water available as, uh, as fast as you possibly can. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that's just a staggering statistic is the, the studies, the average tenure in a refugee camp is 17 years. And so you really have to be committed for a long-term engagement and, uh, and relationship. And it's, uh, it's mind-numbing when you start to look at people living their lives in a refugee setting uh, um, and, and what comes along with that. So, um, and, and it comes back to this other comment that, uh, that you made earlier about what do we do with, uh, with the things that God's given us as stewards? And that we've all been uh, kind of dealt different hands as as we journey through life in this world, and uh, um, and understanding um, what we do with the resources that we're given, and and uh, and and how we're following the great commandment: love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. But then, like unto it, loving your neighbor as yourself. What are we doing? And um, you know, those are things that are are things that we hold very near and dear, and the drivers of uh, of the activities that uh, that we have. Uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Matthew, I think they're um, absolutely, um, a lot of, I think a lot of Americans just aren't very good at geography. Um, you know, my, my experience has been that uh, there's a tendency to think of Africa as a country rather than a, a continent as vast as it is. Uh, the Sahara Desert itself is as big as the United States. Um, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Malawi—they're all East African countries, I think, right? And that's a that, yeah. That, there's a lot of civil civil strife there, isn't there? Um, well, you know, it uh, it comes and goes, and some of these mm-hmm. some places are are more peaceful than others, and and also you can lump me in with um, being ignorant on geography. I think uh, <laughs> the world really opened for me when I set uh, um, boots on the ground at some of these places. That's when you really start to understand where they are on the map, and and so I I, I wouldn't cast the first stone at anybody. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they couldn't find any of these places on a map by any means. Yeah, that's uh, my my dad was a geography teacher, so I I, I grew up with uh, maps and globes and an understanding and a subscription to National <laughs> Geographic and and uh, you know we were also the host family for all the the students that came uh, from uh, from around the world to uh, uh, to to the small town in North Dakota where Dad was a, a geography teacher, and so I I had a I had a friend from the Sudan when I was in high school. He was a college student and. Uh, and he went back because of the Civil War, and we'd never heard from him again. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a challenging area to be in, involved in. So. 
Um, yeah, what, and, you know, uh, and, and one of the things as you look at that refugee application, our ability to be in those camps providing water um, opens the door for some ministry opportunities that, uh, that we have as well. And, and um, you know, the things that some of these folks have been through are things that we can't imagine. And um, we're, we're very fortunate that we have some partners like groups like the American Bible Society that have partnered with us to help us roll out biblically-based trauma healing programs and things for helping people try to become whole. And because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, again, you know, when you look at the, what's happened and, and you start talking about providing access to safe water in a camp like this, it's still a rough place. And, uh, yeah. and these are folks that, that need our prayers, and, and there are literally millions of people living in refugee settings around the world uh, today. It's a, it's a shocking thing. Well, it, I, I've heard it, uh, oh, I think I was talking with uh, Park Howell from, uh, um, from the Business of Story recently, and he was telling me how the, um, the idea that one person is a tragedy, uh, a million is a statistic, and the, the you know the st- mm-hmm. statistic that I found staggering is that uh, one person every thirty-seven seconds dies uh, from a water-related illness, and eighty percent of them are children. You know that's 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 a that's a child under five every minute, and and it's that's a staggering thing. It's 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 beyond the ability for us to wrap our minds around. I think. Yeah, you know, the and, and it's such an important thing for us to keep this a personal thing because these are individuals, these are people, these are souls, and, um, you know, they're made in God's image just as we are. And mm-hmm. so as we, as we think about that, it should drive a level and a sense of urgency in, in our actions. Um, but it's, it is hard to get your head around, and especially when you talk about the enormity of the issue and you start getting into these huge numbers. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's something that we see as well, but, uh, but yeah. yeah, these are individuals and we try to, uh, we try to keep it on an individual level by, um, we have a lot of images from the field, um, and from our projects and we keep them up on the walls to remind us that, that these are people that, uh, that we're serving and not statistics or numbers. So keeping yeah. it personal, personal is important. Yeah. So, um, we are uh, we're we're coming up uh, shortly to uh, an, another break. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go to our break and then come back and t- talk uh, a bit more with George Green the Fourth from Water Mission about uh, the future of um, water mission and water projects and and what what we're gonna be able to do to uh, solve the world's water crisis. Uh, we're here on Bravehearts Radio. Stick with us. We'll be back on the other side of sixty seconds. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Brave Hearts Radio is sponsored by Brave Hearts for Kids, a national pediatric cancer charity. Our mission is to provide life saving hope and inspiration to families facing a pediatric cancer ordeal through outreach, information, and mentoring. Our recently updated Spotlight Hope mobile app puts families in touch with resources to help make their lives better from any location in the USA. For more information or to help, go to BraveHeartsForKids.org. That's BraveHeartsForKids.org. 
As the mission specialist, Brian Reinbold doesn't fly the rockets, but he does help to make sure each mission gets accomplished. Employee engagement is such an important concern for business people today. Brian helps socially conscious businesses reduce expenses, increase profits, and inspire a sense of dedication in the workforce by training mission-building behavior. It's not what Brian does that's most important. It's what people do after he trains them. For more information, contact Brian Reinbold at Mission Specialist at BraveHeartsRadio.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're part of Bravehearts Radio. Call into the program today to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also email Brian. His email is missionspecialist at braveheartsradio.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back, Bravehearts. You're listening to Bravehearts Radio. I'm your host, Brian Reinbold, and I am the Mission Specialist. You're tuned in to voiceamerica.com, where we're the leader in live Internet talk radio. I'm grateful to be here with you on our flagship Voice America Variety Channel. Today we're talking about solving the world's water crisis with George Green IV. From, he's the CEO of watermission.org. And uh, always uh, coming into the third segment, I have a little something to say about the National Day Calendar, nationaldaycalendar.com, one of the great sponsors of the Bravehearts for Kids Pediatric Cancer Charity. And uh, today, the uh, 20th of July, is Get Out of the Doghouse Day, Lollipop Day, Moon Day, and Pennsylvania Day. Um you know, I, I don't have anything really to say about any of those. Lived in Pennsylvania once upon a time, long time ago. My dad was a graduate student at Penn State, and, uh, you know, I, I went to second grade there. So uh, that was another example of being around people from around the world because we lived right next to campus and the elementary school that I went to second grade. Uh, I think all of my classmates seemed like were the children of grad school students from around the country and around the world. So that was that was a pretty cool experience. Uh, George Green's my uh, my guest today. He's the George Green IV is the uh, CEO of WaterMission.org, and uh, you got a lot of projects going on around the world. You got people staff uh, around around the world in uh, you said ten countries. Um, projects in in so many countries now what what do you see as the future for water mission and uh, solving the the world's water crisis yeah brian again thank you for having us and and the opportunity to talk about what we're doing yeah i I think so we've been around for about 19 years now and over the years we really saw that the approach that we take is a little bit unique and, and, and that uniqueness has to do that we come from a very technically focused background. Um, we're a bunch of engineers, and, and as you look at water projects, there's a technical side to it. And what we see and what we've seen over the last 19 years as we've been doing projects is there, there are a bunch of groups that are out doing projects. And sometimes uh, the approach is not approaching things that technical problems from a technical solution perspective. 
And, and by this, what I mean is that um, you have groups that they see a need. They see that somebody is dying because they don't have access to safe water. And they're saying, somebody needs to do something about that, and I'm going to do it. But then they're going into an, a developing country that doesn't have rules and regulations that drive the type of structure that we're used to in this country. And so when we came onto the scene 19 years ago, uh, as we look at engineering design and rolling that out in application with our projects, it was something that there was a huge void of technical expertise kind of in this space. And it's been an area that we've gone deep on two fronts. The first is one on implementing our own projects. Um, but then the second is in looking to be a resource to other organizations. And so I think as, as, as we look to the future, really the key in, in ending the global water crisis is through collaboration. No one organization is going to do that on its own. And our focus with that collaboration is, is uh, a driving a consortium that comes together around understanding the need for adherence to standards and best practices, um, putting in, in place things like remote monitoring systems, proving what you're doing, um, fully understanding what does it take to be successful for a water project from a design uh, um, standpoint, from an implementation standpoint, from a people processes and systems and maintenance standpoint on an ongoing basis. It's a complicated scenario, and it's a big issue to try and get your head around and so we're uh, we're really focused on driving that one for our own purposes and showing that it can be done, and then really have a huge focus on shaping the wash sector and uh, and and just bringing up the overall uh, um, standard and the expectation for delivery of services in the areas where we're working. And then you uh, you train people in those areas to uh, maintain and the projects and keep them going. That seems to me as as being of paramount importance. Yeah, so I would take a step um, further with that. We're not training folks to keep projects uh, um, going. What we're okay. doing is we're making owners of uh, of the systems. And again, it comes back to this concept of teaching a man to fish versus giving a man a fish. And so the idea with that is mm -hmm. when we come into a, a community with a project, what does it take to truly make it sustainable? How is it going to work? And that takes a huge commitment. And so on average in a community development project, I believe we spend somewhere between 500 and 700 hours of investment in building out the people, processes, and systems that are basically going to run a little mini municipal water plant uh, when we leave. And when I say we leave, we don't, we're always a phone call away. We have established offices in the programs where we're uh, in the countries where we're working and, uh, and our ability to phase out is, uh, um, it's still there if there's a need for us to, to come back and support. So, but, uh, but yeah, really it's more empowering and, and, uh, and, and, you know, there's some interesting statistics and studies that um, a dollar invested in water and sanitation has a return of somewhere between 8 and $40. And so if you think about that, what that's saying is that if you bring access to safe water, it'll essentially pay for itself. And where you see that return is in the health of the people that you're working with. When somebody's healthy, 
um, they have the ability, if they're a farmer, they have the ability to grow more crops and get them to market. And so they can impact their income. If they're a student, if they're healthier, they have the ability to pay better attention in class and their education isn't impacted. And then there's also, there's like a double tax that you don't think about. If somebody gets sick and they have to go to a clinic, then they have to pay for medicine. And if all of a sudden all that's gone, because, you know, think about it. When was the last time that you paid for medicine to cure a waterborne illness? Mm-hmm. You know, the, it, you, yeah. You've probably never done that. And so, you know, these are things that we don't deal with. And if, if you think about not having and having that in your life um, and being able to live a healthy life, which is what we've always known, it has a tremendous impact. And the other thing, too, that it's good to point out and remind people is that we don't need to research a solution to go and solve the problem. We actually solved the clean drinking water problem in the United States over 100 years ago. And so you start to just think about these things, and it's just it's a ripe opportunity for us to have an impact globally in uh, in changing people's lives and helping them live healthy lives. And it, it seems like there's a, there's there's plenty of water, um, you know, worldwide, but uh, uh, whether it's usable or not is uh, something of a big question. Yes, and you know, so that really depends regionally where you are. Um, so we are we're working in the Bahamas and doing disaster relief, and the the best uh, um, the best solution for drinking water in some of the areas where we're working is rainwater collection, and mm-hmm. and you know, in those kinds of applications, you know, that's a there's a long term planning aspect of that because you know you can't just uh, turn flip a switch and you have it. You have to um, build a collection system and have a roof that uh, that that captures the rain and and then you've got it stored over time. Because otherwise, the alternative is salt water and and you're surrounded by it. Plenty of salt water, but you can't drink it. And then yeah. and that is salt water. Any kind of water can be treated when it's said and done, but there's a cost associated with it. And mm. so part of our obligation when we're looking at solutions is to be able to compare um, the cost per gallon or per per volume of water and what is that cost burden going to be on the people that ultimately are going to have to sustain it on an ongoing basis. So, um, and, and so there is a, there's a design aspect to that as well. Most of the places in the world, when you look at uh, um, where in developing countries that don't have access to safe water, they still have access to fresh water. It's just contaminated with bacteria and, and uh, microbiological contaminants. And mm-hmm. what that does is if you think about it, um, there, you know, an individual's body essentially is the filter, and so if you're drinking contaminated water as a as an adult, you might see 30 years uh, um, of your lifespan shaved off because your immune system is fighting waterborne illnesses. You brought up early on in the show that most of the people that die are children, and the reason that that's the case is because your immune system doesn't fully develop until you're the age of five. And so the, the people that are most impacted by waterborne illnesses are actually children under the age of five. And it's a, it's a horrible thing as you look at that. Yeah, it's something, you know, that we've, we've gotten away in, in the last hundred years in the United States. We don't, we don't even consider that as a possibility that, that uh, you know, one or two of your children um, are likely to die of some childhood disease. That, that we've we've yeah. eradicated just about everything. Uh, you know, I work for a pediatric cancer organization, and that's uh, 80% of the children that get pediatric cancer survive where a generation ago, uh, 80% of the children that got cancer died. Uh, that's that's mm-hmm. a big turnaround in, in a generation, and uh, it, you know, we surely applaud the people that are working on 
on the uh, the research for that, of course. Now, you're and you're you're trained personally. You're trained as an engineer, and I uh, understand you're very active in your engineering professional organizations too. Uh, yes, um, yeah. My background is uh, chemical engineering, and uh, and and we have. Um, probably 14 or 15 licensed professional engineers on staff in, in our Charleston office. Um, it actually makes us one of the largest engineering firms in Charleston, South Carolina, and all of the work that we're doing is outside of the United States. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and, and again, so as you look at, you know, our focus is water and sanitation. And when you look at the, engineer, the engineering degrees that are a part of the team that we have, if you go and look at other NGOs and you look at that technical um, that technical gap, you, it, it's just a, it's a it's a big big disconnect. And and again, it comes back to you know we're coming from a tried and true uh, um, perspective and system that basically is cranking people out. Uh, you know, you look at all the universities that are graduating engineers every year um, to go into. Uh, um, corporate America or into infrastructure projects and things like that, you know, we're set up to be able to do these things. We just need to be recruiting uh, um, these kinds of mindsets and people into this space. And the other thing that's really interesting, Brian, is when we post, uh, we we have uh, open positions on our website that we post, and the positions that we post for engineering uh, um, opportunities, we get flooded with uh, with people that have an interest in that, and I think part of the reason is is because there's not a huge market um, for people to come in for for believers to come in and use their engineering expertise and and uh, applications um, in this world because people aren't recruiting them the way that we are. So um, mm-hmm. so it's out there, it's doable. It's there is an answer to the problem, and uh, and yeah, that's our focus is, um, yes. is hammering away at that and, and continuing to uh, have an impact. Really, really loved what you said about collaboration too. Because uh, earlier today, I was on a on a uh, another a Zoom call. A lot of my uh, my my calls are in Zoom calls now, and uh, we were the, the the topic was collaboration. And uh, one of the things I did is I looked up a quote uh, from Ken Blanchard. He said, "None of us are as smart as all of us." And I thought, you know, that's yeah, pretty yeah. good because you know we're t- together. We can accomplish more. We 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 tend to we tend to think of it here as as being uh, exponents for one another. You know, just uh, where where you and I work together, we can we can do more than we could have done uh, each of us on our own, uh, just by by yeah. um, by uh, working together and collaborating. So. Um, well, we, you know, we are, as, as I say, the time flies when you're having fun, and it's been a great time talking with you. We're up against one more break, and then we'll come back to wrap things up today on Bravehearts Radio, talking about solving the world's water crisis with George Green IV from watermission.org. Stick with us. We'll be back on the other side of 60. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Bravehearts Radio is sponsored by Bravehearts for Kids, a national pediatric cancer charity. Our mission is to provide life-saving hope and inspiration to families facing a pediatric cancer ordeal through outreach, information, and mentoring. 
Our recently updated Spotlight Hope mobile app puts families in touch with resources to help make their lives better from any location in the USA. For more information or to help, go to BraveHeartsForKids.org. That's BraveHeartsForKids.org. As the mission specialist, Brian Reinbold doesn't fly the rockets, but he does help to make sure each mission gets accomplished. Employee engagement is such an important concern for business people today. Brian helps socially conscious businesses reduce expenses, increase profits, and inspire a sense of dedication in the workforce by training mission-building behavior. It's not what Brian does that's most important. It's what people do after he trains them. For more information, contact Brian Reinbold at Mission Specialist at BraveHeartsRadio.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're part of Brave Hearts Radio. Call into the program today to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also email Brian. His email is missionspecialist at braveheartsradio.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back, Brave Hearts. You're listening to Brave Hearts Radio. I'm Brian Reinbold, and I am your host on the mission. I'm, I am the, I'm your host, Brian Reinbold, and I am the mission specialist. You know, I should be able to get that right after all these times. I was, I, I was, I was kind of doubling up on on myself there because I was thinking I wanted to make a point about the mission specialist. You know, with uh, George Green the Fourth from WaterMission.org, uh, a different kind of mission than the mission specialist. You know, as the mission specialist, I, I took that title because of our Bravehearts for Kids connection of the founder of Bravehearts, Jeremy Jacobs, works for NASA. And so I, I tell people, I don't fly the rockets. I just help make sure they get the mission accomplished. So that's where the, the idea of mission specialist came from. My guest today is uh, George Green IV from watermission.org. And, uh, you know, doing uh, we were talking during the break about um, – the idea of supporting the the organizations that you that you love that you care for in 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 this time of COVID nineteen, the uncertainty of uh, nonprofit organizations, organizations in general, but Brave Hearts for Kids, WaterMission.org, uh, you know, we, uh, whoever you support, you know, we have this idea that doing good anywhere does good everywhere. So if you if you help one organization, you're not hurting the other one. You're making the world better. And that helps everyone. Um, what what do you see, George, as the uh, as the impact of COVID right now? Yeah, so it's a it's a, a tough question because there's not a real clear answer. <laughs> and when you look at the impact to the economy and what's uh, what's going on globally, it's um, it can be terrifying. And I think it's a rem- it's a reminder for us that first and foremost uh, that. Um, it's a good thing that we're not in control and, uh, and remind ourselves that God's in control and we need to um, turn to him and ask for peace and, and just knowing that he has a perfect plan and that we're going to be able to be a part of that. Um, now, ha- having said that, I would encourage folks that, you know, if you have charities that you support and, uh, and, and if you are considering you know, stopping that, you know, obviously your uh, individual 
situation is going to dictate you need to take care of what your needs are and uh, take care of your family and things along those lines. Um, at the same time, if you have the ability to continue to support, uh, you know, I'm hearing that there are a lot of charities that are out there that have been impacted in a negative way. And um, specifically with the work that's going on, I know that, you know, we have a number of events um, we actually do events called Walk for Waters that people come out, and the biggest one of the year was uh, going to be on March 21st, and we ended up canceling it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think we do somewhere around 40 of them on an annual basis, and we're seeing those being impacted in a significant way. And at the end of the day, that does impact our ability to go and serve people. Um, so so I, I would encourage uh, uh, folks, if, if, uh, if they have the ability to continue to, um, to go deep with the groups that they have relationships with, and certainly if they have an interest in learning more about what we're doing, um, you know we have uh, we have needs as well, and the people that uh, that we're reaching out to, because you don't necessarily think about the impact of COVID and the work that Christian ministries are doing, um, and and where that could hurt things downstream, and what the lag is going to be. They're just significant unknowns. Yeah, and it may be something that uh, it if you um, if you have the time. If you have a special skill or talent, uh, in addition to your treasure, um, maybe there's some way that you can influence things that um, um, that can be significant and, and helpful. Uh, George, I'd, you know, I'd, 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 I would be uh, remiss if I if I didn't provide you the opportunity to say something about the uh, the living water that you that you deal with. And uh, I know you've you've interjected that uh, quite a bit throughout the conversation, but that's a big part of your your mission, isn't it? Oh yeah. So we are first and foremost a Christian ministry, and people ask, you know, who we are, and and we point to the the greatest commandment, and and then the second, which is like unto it, is you know those are kind of the the highest level from a, a directional perspective on on uh, who we are and why we do what we do. And as you look at the work that we do, um, there's a there's a really interesting uh, um, uh, proverb. It's uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine, and it, it goes something like this: that um, do you see a man skilled in his work, he will serve before kings. Um, well, we we take that very seriously. Uh, our values are love, excellence, and integrity. And when you look at that value of excellence in our work and what happens when we go and we lead with uh, a really high quality service, when we do something and we and we follow through on what we say we're going to do in a, in a really solid way, um, what that does in positioning us to be able to um, share who we are as a Christian ministry is huge. So when we go into communities and, and we do water projects, um, there are no obligations for um, for any kind of ministry activity for people to have access to safe water in the work that we do. Um, but we do partner with the local churches in the communities where we're working, and we come alongside them as we're engaging with the water aspect of what's going on. And, uh, and, and the platform that we have as a result of these good works that we're doing um, we look to set the church, the local church up on that stage. And we work with the local church because a lot of times we'll go into rural communities in Honduras and and uh, uh, any of the countries that we're working in, and you'll find that there are actually a number of existing churches. Um, you might go into a rural community of a 1,000 people and find five or six churches that have seven to 15 people in them. And uh, um, there's a recurring theme that we find that a lot of times um, one uh, they don't like people in the other churches. Um, they don't talk to each other. 
And they also uh, um, don't really show any interest in having anyone from the community come and participate uh, with them as well. And so it was um, pretty early on we saw that the focus in what we do when we're engaging with water projects, at the same time we have a significant ministry of reconciliation uh, with the church in the communities where we're working and, uh, and, and really uh, getting people to come together in, uh, again with this, uh, this, this uh, word collaboration that we've hit a couple of times throughout the segment um, and, uh, and understanding what's the purpose of the church and why are we here and it's not uh, um, to be inwardly focused, it's to be outwardly focused for ministry in the communities where they're serving. Uh, we have a number of incredible partners in Touch Ministries. I mentioned the American Bible Society. Um, they pour into us and things like um, pastor training and, and uh, equipping them with materials like audio Bibles, and we're able to leverage these kinds of things in the uh, projects where we're working as well um, to really engage and equip the local church uh, um, for ministry in their communities. So, Because um, we're not there long-term, and when you look at the long-term impact uh, um, and the ability for discipleship and things like that, that's really where it needs to happen. Yeah, you're talking. Uh, you're talking uh, long-term impact and uh, eternal impact. Uh, you know, in the in in the in the big picture there. So, um, George has been a, a real pleasure and a treasure to uh, have this conversation with you today. I want to I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank the Bravehearts for joining us today. We have been talking about solving the world's water crisis with George Green IV from Water Mission, watermission.org. You can find out uh, different ways to be involved in uh, in watermission.org at uh, at the website. A lot of great work going on uh, with uh, with Water Mission. Remember also to check out our BraveHeartsForKids.org and please consider donating and being involved now too. And if you are interested in uh, connecting with me, mission specialist at BraveHeartsRadio.org or look me up on LinkedIn. Please plan to join us every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Next week, we'll be talking about integrity in changing times. You know, that's something that doesn't change even when the times do uh, we'll have as our guest John Blumberg from Blumberg ROI, and uh, John's version of ROI is return on integrity. Uh, remember that doing good anywhere does good everywhere, and we'll see you next week. Until then, be well and stay well. Thanks again for joining us this week for Brave Hearts Radio. Be sure to tune in for another edition featuring your host, Brian Reinbold. The show can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again next time.